who are joining us online. As we mentioned last week, it seems like uh, more and more are joining us online as this uh, latest surge of COVID's kind of hit our area. We trust that that will continue to go down and things will get back to normal here. But in the meantime, we keep plugging along. I trust that your walk with the Lord has been good this week, that you've been able to spend some time in the Word and that God's Word is just dwelling in you richly, as the Apostle Paul says. I love that little phrase where he talks about the Word of God dwelling in us richly, and so I trust that that is the case here today. In whatever way, we hope that you have come prepared to worship and give praise to our great God. If there are any visitors with us, the sun is bright, and so I can't see real well out there to see if there are any faces I don't recognize, but it seems like I know every face, but we're glad you're here. If we have a visitor, welcome to our church services today. If you would take your bulletin for just a moment, let me just draw attention to a couple of our announcements. Continue to pray for our elders as we try to shepherd well through this time regarding our services, what we're going to be doing. We're hopeful that our training hour will get back in place um, in October, and so we'll let you know all of that information. We'll share it with you. Our target date is the 17th. Uh, but we'll let you know all those things. Pastor Jason is preaching for one of our network churches, Jared Belcher, down in Williamson, West Virginia. Uh, that's about an hour down Corridor G. If you would like to join him down there, I know that would be a tremendous blessing and encouragement to uh, Brother Jared. Uh, he'll be preaching, Jason's preaching on that Monday, the 4th, but the conference goes uh, starts on Sunday and runs through Tuesday and it's on the doctrine of the omnipresence of God. So it's a very heavy topic, and uh, we trust that it'll be something that'll be a blessing to that church family and to you if you're able to go. The annual picnic is coming upon us very soon. I hope we have a day like today with the sun shining and uh, cool that we'll be able to enjoy greatly. Uh, but please mark your calendar if you've never been to one of these events. Um, the shelters are listed there. You drive and drive and drive. Do you think you're never going to get there? And then you drive a, just a little bit more, and you arrive. And I can remember the first time I kept telling Becky, I'm lost, I'm lost, I'm lost. This can't be clear out here. But it was. Uh, but it, it'll be a good time. This year, we're asking you to bring your own picnic food uh, just because of COVID, but we will enjoy this time together. So I trust we'll be able to do that. Let's take a moment asking the Lord to open our hearts that we might see and behold wondrous truth from his word, that our hearts might be able to fully engage and give God the glory that is due his name. So let's take a moment.
ask you to stand, if you would, as we read the scriptures and ask God to use these verses to call our hearts to give praise to him. Listen carefully as I read. This is a very powerful passage, as so many of them are. Psalm 65. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God, of our salvation, the hope of the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. The one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. Come, let us praise the Lord together.
our responsive reading will be from uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, question 61. Why do you say that through faith alone you are righteous? Not because I please God by my worthiness of my faith. It is because only Christ's satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness makes me righteous before God. And because I can accept this righteousness and make it mine in no other way than through faith. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, everything we have comes from you, and you have blessed your people richly, and we are grateful. Even our faith was granted to you, it was granted to us by you, Father. Lord, I pray for our faith today. I pray that our faith be strong in times of hardship, our faith be strong when faced with trials and temptation. Our faith be strong in good times and bad times, and our faith be strong when faced with sickness. Lord, I also pray for those whose faith may be shaken. I pray for strength and courage and understanding. Be their rock and assurance. Lord, I pray for those who have no faith, who doubt you or deny you. Please, through your grace, grant them faith and repentance. Lord, I pray for the faith of Christians around the world living in countries that are resistant to your word and countries that persecute believers. Be their stronghold, be their rock, grow their faith, keep them strong. Lord, forgive us our sins from this past week. Forgive us when we fail you, forgive us when we doubt you, and grow our faith and trust, not in ourselves, but in you. Amen. Please stand and let's continue to worship together. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never. Oh, my soul. 
As you take your seats, please lend your ears and affection to this God's holy word. A reading from the Gospel of John. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. A reading from the first epistle of John. Beloved, let us one another, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God has made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this love, 
not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And please stand. Let's continue to sing.
glorious, glorious song. I couldn't help but think as we were singing and rejoicing and having the joy and the privilege of coming together with other believers, what it might be like for those in Somalia if they could come and experience something like this and the freedom that we have to be able to lift up their voices to sing and give praise to God. I trust that you have grown for your love for the people in Somalia, our brothers and sisters in Christ from that area. As we have tried to communicate over the last few weeks, and hopefully you've done some research yourself, that it is a very dark place. There are 22 people groups, 20 of which really have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's hard for us to imagine. Another thing that I suppose I knew this, but just uh, had lost it, not seen it, had impacted me as I've been praying for them. But literacy, the lack of being literate is a major problem there as well, not being able to read the word. So you can imagine the limited amount of scriptures that these folks have in their hearts and minds. And yet, as we sing these truths, we recognize the incredible power that is in the word of God. How a portion of scripture, even though we might not have all the scriptures at our disposal like we have here, that that truth of the gospel can penetrate the heart and give victory to live a life of freedom even in the midst of deep, deep persecution and oppression. So I trust that you will pray, that you will pray for them just in everyday life as they suffer great poverty, as they have few opportunities for economic uh, security, advancement, anything like that, that we will pray that God's word will be precious to them, that God, through his Holy Spirit, just as we've been reading about in the book of Acts, would encourage, embolden, and help them. Let's take a moment and pray. Our Father, it has been a good thing for our hearts to think upon our brothers and sisters in Christ. There in Somalia, it's been a good thing to sacrifice, to give, that we might be able to help them. Lord, it is even difficult for me to wrap my head around what it would be like to live in that environment. I've never experienced something like that. I try to, the video, the prayers that we've seen, the things that we tie into, and yet, Lord, I'm sure that it's impossible for us in this environment today to think what these dear people go through. But you are the same God. Your word has the same power to give freedom. The gospel is that which saves to the uttermost, and we are incredibly grateful that that which they do have is eternal, that this life is but a vapor in comparison to the eternal weight of glory. And so, Lord, I pray that these truths would be precious to them just as they need to be precious to our own hearts. Lord, help us never to fall into the trap of giving our love to the things of this world. But, Lord, that you might always be preeminent in our hearts and minds. And so, Lord, we once again lift up the church in Somalia. We pray that the gospel would go forth from their lips, that you would give them a boldness, give them wisdom, give them the ability to be creative in the 
giving forth of the gospel for those believers, Lord, as they might unite somewhere hidden away, Lord, that you would bless their times, that they would draw strength from one another. And Lord, in some way, might they recognize and understand that they have brothers and sisters around the world who love them and care for them and pray for them. So Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us, as the Apostle John would say, to demonstrate your love by loving one another. In Christ's name and for his glory. Greg, for your faithful ministry to us week in and week out. As you take your Bibles and open them to Acts with me this morning, 
I'm going to get in a little bit of trouble as you're turning to Acts chapter 2. I wanted to acknowledge a couple of things. One, um, tomorrow, Greg and I were talking about this earlier, tomorrow is two years since Lana went to be with the Lord. And I, I mentioned that publicly um, because Lana was such a significant part of this local church. And personally speaking, she was such a deep encouragement to me um, all the time about ministry and about this church and about the work of Christ in you and all, the, all that God was doing. She just had this vibrant, energetic loving spirit about all that was all that God is doing and uh, tomorrow's two years hard to believe but uh, we, we are deeply thankful for Lana's ministry among us and on a much 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 lighter note um, we had two birthdays these last couple of days that I feel it, it's imperative of me to speak to you about uh, yesterday was Tim's birthday, and the day before was Becky's. Oh, I'm getting it right now. I'm getting it hard right now. Uh, it was Becky's birthday. And I left something hanging a few months ago. It was Tim's 10th anniversary here at Randolph Street. Remember, we gave them a gift. And I, I made a comment as Becky came up to receive the gift. If they open that gift, it is an automatic 10-year renewal on their contract here at Randolph Street. Well, I never came back to you. I can confirm to you, they opened that gift. Okay, so the Lord willing, we will celebrate many, many more birthdays with Tim and Becky uh, in the years to come. But make sure you take a moment just to thank God for their ministry here at Randolph Street. Well, last Sunday, with your Bibles open, Acts chapter 2, we stepped into really the, the thick of the first sermon in the history of the church. I mean... It began earlier, back to verse number 14. But last Sunday, we kind of stepped into the heart of it, if you will, as Peter is the one who steps forward in the midst of the 120 disciples, the, the now 12 apostles, including Matthias. He is the one that steps forward in this historical moment and speaks to what is happening, what God is now doing. And as you might recall from last Sunday's sermon, even the week before, Peter, on this day of Pentecost, this most significant day in the Jewish calendar, one of the three most significant days in the Jewish calendar, Peter is the one who steps forth, and as he does, he brings with him, in this moment, the Old Testament. He's not going to speak about this unusual moment, the work of the Spirit, and of Christ without bringing to bear upon us the Old Testament scriptures. It is the foundation of which Peter's sermon is built on. He is going to stand before the people of Israel in that moment, at least 3,000 of them, probably significantly greater numbers in this moment. Peter's going to stand before them, and what he's declaring in this first sermon in the history of the church is this. Everything... Everything that has gone before us was leading us to this person, Jesus. And that's the gist of it. What Joel said, it's what David said, but really the feel of this is everything now is leading us to this moment. This person named Jesus. Ultimately, what Peter declares, this is, this is the Christ. 
Luke, in this recording of Peter's sermon, I said this to you last Sunday, you could read this sermon, and I haven't timed it to, to know exactly, but my guess is in less than two minutes, you could read through all of Peter's sermon here. We can probably be sure that Luke gives us kind of a shorthand, inspired shorthand version here of what Peter is declaring to these gathered crowds. Just a, a little bit of run-up to today's text. The Spirit of God has come, fulfillment of what Jesus had said during his earthly ministry, fulfillment of what Jesus has said right before the ascension to the right hand of the Father. The Spirit has now come, and he's brought forth a miraculous moment. The, these disciples are gathered, probably 120 of them, in a room together, they are declaring the mighty works of God. And as they are declaring the mighty works of God, the Jews who have gathered into Jerusalem for Pentecost, Jews spread out all over the region, they hear this declaration in their native language. They speak in tongues, as Luke records for us here. And they are struck by this. They're confused by it. Some will suggest that they're drunk. Peter's response to that is clear. It's 9 a.m. That's not a proper explanation of what has happened. Here's a proper explanation that Peter lays out before them. And then he recites to us, Joel chapter 2, he recites to the crowds. And in that, Peter now ushers us in, the readers, he ushers us into these last days, the days of Christ. Everything, this is what the writer of Hebrews is, is telling us, just like Peter, everything now has been moving up to this moment, and it has all come to this point and this person. Verse 22 of chapter 2. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, by mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, you yourselves know. I mean, he, he's, he's just putting this right in front of them. He has been attested to you by God. These mighty works and wonders and signs. And then Peter steps into Psalm 16. He steps into Psalm 10, and he gives us a full picture of the gospel. The life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father. I mean, he, he just lays it all out. This first Christian sermon, if you will, he lays the whole thing out. Jesus' life, his miracles, his wonders, his signs, his death. He's been crucified by you under this predetermined purpose and plan of God. He's risen from the dead. God raised him from the dead, and he seated him at the right hand of the Father. He gives us this full-orbed picture of Jesus. That's the first sermon to be preached. And that leads us to our text today. Here's your outline, just quickly. There's going to be four parts of this little narrative we're going to look at. We're going to look at beginning at verse um, 37, and we're going to work through verse 41. We're going to see four parts of this. We're going to see the work of the Spirit, part one. It's going to be verse 37. We're going to see two commands in this text that we need to wrestle through a little bit. That's verse 38. There's also two promises in verse 38 that we're going to walk through briefly. And then finally, we're going to see the work of the Spirit, part two. 
So we've got the work of the Spirit, part one, and the work of the Spirit, part two, and in between that, two commands, two promises. All right, as we have been doing, we're going to read the text as we work through these sections. Let's look down at our Bibles, verse 37. Before I read 37, go back to verse 36. This is the final declaration in his sermon. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and, the, and Christ. This is who he's declared him to be through everything what he's talked about. He's declared him to be Lord and Christ. This is him. And then he finishes it up by what he said earlier, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, the gathered crowds, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So, Peter has set before them their scriptures. Joel 2, Psalm 16, Psalm 110. It is pointed and clear language. And he has said all of this applies to Jesus. And notice, notice the graphic language of, of what happens in the audience. This is Luke now. He's, he's recording this for us. He's, he's interacted with the disciples. He's, he's talked with the 120. He's gathered this information for us. He says to us, they were cut to the heart. The idea here is their conscience, it was upset. Their hearts were troubled. Right? They're confused. We already know that. But now, as Peter makes this declaration, this is the Lord, and this is the Christ. You have crucified him. They were cut to the heart. Their consciences have been turned upside down, if you will. Their hearts are stirred with trouble. Such graphic language in the ESV. I, I like this. It cuts to the heart. This is the work of the Spirit. This is the work of the Spirit in the hearts and minds of those who have gathered. And they're going to ask, what, what shall we do? And that question is going to extend in a moment into Peter's response. Now, this is a good response, it seems to be here. And at the end of this narrative, Pastor Tim is going to be preaching this text next week. But at the end of this narrative, 3,000 of them are going to be converted. Verse 41 be preaching 42 and following. This is a massive response to what Peter has said. This is a good start, right? We think about the church. Peter stands up and he preaches. He, he, he may have thought, hey, this is, this is pretty easy, right? You stand up and preach. 3,000 people believe, but this is not normal for what's going to happen as we move through the book of Acts. And we're going to trace this for the next couple of years. The, the typical response is not what must we do to be saved. The typical response is what we see in chapter 5, verse number 33, when the Sanhedrin rises up and says, hey, with the preaching of the gospel, their response is, we want to put them to death. The seed's going to be scattered, right, through the preaching. Some are going to respond. Now, that's what we see right here in Acts chapter 2. They, this crowd, they are cut to the heart. This is exactly what Jesus had promised the Spirit would do. John chapter 16. I'm going to be, I'm going to be re reading a lot of different texts this morning. John chapter 16, on the night before Jesus would be betrayed, on the night he was betrayed, 
Jesus would say this to his disciples. Let this, this verse needs to echo in your mind many, many times through the book of Acts. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they, now do, they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, you will no longer see me. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. This is what Jesus said the Spirit would do when the Spirit comes. And now, when we look at Acts chapter 2, we see the Spirit doing exactly what Jesus had said. He's going to convict the world of sin. And it's so applicable to this moment, what Jesus said in John 16. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And in this moment, the Spirit of God does exactly what Jesus had said the Spirit would do. He cuts to the heart, if you will, concerning their sin. They did not believe in Jesus. As a matter of fact, they crucified him. And Peter stands to preach. What we see happening underneath and behind all of this is the work of the Spirit. This is exactly what Paul, excuse me, uh, the writer of Hebrews would say about the word of God being proclaimed, right? It's active. It's sharp. Sharper than any two-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's, that's what's happening here in this moment. The spirit of God is now working through the preaching of the gospel and the response to the crowd. Their hearts are cut. Their consciences are turned upside down. So they asked the question, and this is the right question that they should be asking. What shall we do? That leads us to the two commands. Now this is one answer, verse number 38. has two parts. It's complicated. We're going to work through this for a few moments. Peter would say to them, in response to this question, what shall we do? Peter responds, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, this is not easy. We want to wrestle through this and try to understand to the best of our ability why Peter says what Peter says. He, he puts forward two commands to them. Repent and be baptized. Now, I'm going to argue for these next few moments that only one of these commands is an instrument that brings forth forgiveness, while the other command is a sign that signifies what we have experienced in our forgiveness. So let's, let's start with the first command. Repent. This is going to be a common theme in the book of Acts. We're not going to escape this command. This, this command is going to be threaded throughout all of the book of Acts, beginning in chapter 2, ending in chapter 26. The, the apostles and the early church, when the crowds gather to hear the preaching of the gospel, the common theme is going to be repent. Now, let's catch the moment here of what's happening. What is, what is Peter calling them to repent of? Well, it would be easy for us to say their sin, and that's right. I mean, that's the general category here. We repent of our sin. And we're going to talk about that more in just a moment. But in context here, in this moment, what Peter's calling them to repent of is they killed Jesus. They rejected him. They turned from him. As a matter of fact, he's going to be graphic. You nailed him to the cross. And Peter stands before the Jewish nation, represented by thousands of men and women, and he calls them here in this moment, you need to repent. Now, what is repentance? 
Well, it's more than just regret. I, I think that's often how we think about repentance. It's more than just regretting a decision we have made or an act of disobedience that's entered our lives. I think repentance involves not only identifying our sin, but it involves acknowledging to our God and turning away from that sin. And so, so we, we recognize we've, we've, we've done something that displeases God. So we acknowledge that. We identify it and we acknowledge it to God. And, and as a part of repentance, our heart says, hey, I'm turning from that sin. I'm, I no longer want to participate in that sin. I acknowledge it was before you, my holy God, displeasing to you. I think inherent within the act of repentance is faith because we turn from our sin and in turning from our sin, we turn to our God to deliver us from our sins. So as we read through the book of Acts, and I'm not going to take time to work through this much right now, but as we read through the book of Acts, or I would argue any New Testament scriptures, and we think about the idea of repentance always connected to the idea of repentance is faith. You turn from your sin, but in turning from your sin, you turn to God, your hope and your deliverer. So that's repentance. This is what Peter calls them to in this moment. You've crucified Jesus. You've rejected him. Now turn from your sins. So repentance acknowledges our sin and our guilt and our need, and, and then he attaches baptism. Baptism then signifies the cleansing that only God can grant. Baptism signifies the cleansing that, that only God can grant. So repentance is the instrument here that secures forgiveness, and repentance includes faith. And baptism here signifies the cleansing that only God can grant. The, the, the apostles, they don't back up from using this language. Acts chapter 22. This is Paul. He says, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. It's graphic language, isn't it? This is, this is what baptism is. It signifies what happens when one calls upon the name of the Lord. Let your eyes linger back down to Acts chapter 2, verse number 21. You remember how Joel ended when he recited Joel chapter 2, verse number 21? This is, this is the first volley, if you will, in the book of Acts. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's, that's the entry point now to calling the crowds, this, this Joel text. You call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Calling upon the name of the Lord, if you will, is the instrument of our cleansing. Baptism is this graphic, Christ-ordained picture of what it is to be cleansed. So it's not the act of baptism that brings forgiveness. Baptism signifies what happens when one calls upon the name of the Lord. I want to repeat that. Baptism signifies what happens 
when one calls upon the name of the Lord, they are cleansed and they are forgiven of their sins. Eckhard Schnabel. I don't know if that's pronounced correctly. If your name's Eckhard, you must be fairly smart. He says, Peter expects, this is, this is the Zondervan exegetical commentary series, a wonderful commentary series. He says, Peter expects all listeners who repent to go to a pool and to let themselves be immersed in water, be baptized is in the passive, um, is in a passive language here. It's a passive verb. And he says, let themselves be immersed in water, which signifies the cleansing from their sin and guilt. This allows them to confess their sorrow for their former rejection of Jesus and express their new faith in Jesus as Messiah and exalted Lord. Eckhard Schnabel, in his particular commentary, speaks of the, the, the purification pools that were dug and, and, and built around Jerusalem for these very moments on a day like Pentecost when, when this ritual cleansing would take place among the Jewish nation and thousands of pilgrims would enter into these waters as a means of this ritual cleansing of these significant ceremonial days like Pentecost. And he will write in his commentary. So it would be not surprising, if you will, if 3,000, like we're going to see in this narrative, 3,000 men and women go into these pools, and in these pools, they are declaring their faith in Christ. Notice back down at this verse, if you would, baptism is in the name of Jesus. This is pointed. This is the one they crucified. And now he's saying to them, this crowd, hey, you repent of that sin. And in repentance, you be baptized in the name of Jesus, the one that you crucified. This is the expected response of the disciple. It is the fundamental response of the one who confesses their sins and turns in faith to Jesus. They walk into the waters of baptism and they publicly declare that their hope is in Christ and Christ alone. What a moment. These pools would have existed. And again, Eckhard Schnabel goes into detail about these pools in his commentary. But what a moment when Peter stands up. Man, the courage, spirit-inspired courage in this man's heart. He stands up and he calls them, hey, you want to know what to do? Here it is. You repent and you walk over to those pools and you be baptized in the name of Jesus. You identify with him. Thousands will. They will come to Christ. Now let me, let me circle back a little bit here. I'm saying here in verse number 38 that repentance, faith assumed, is the instrument that leads to forgiveness and the reception of the Holy Spirit, not baptism. You may be sitting here this morning looking at your Bibles and saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Look, just read it. Well, we have to walk into difficult texts, and there's going to be a few of these in the book of Acts. I've just read one in Acts chapter 22. There's going to be a few of these moments where we've got to wrestle with this kind of language. I would encourage you, when you wrestle with difficult texts, to go and let the rest of the scriptures, like Acts as a whole, or the rest of the New Testament, help you understand these texts. 
when you, when you read through the book of Acts or when you read through the New Testament, the overwhelming declaration of the writers of the New Testament is this. A sinner can only stand righteous before God through faith. That is the overwhelming testimony of the New Testament, including the book of Acts. Let me just run through some text in the book of Acts. Acts 2.21, we won't recite that again. Call upon the name of the Lord. I just recited it. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. There it is. What's the proper response? Repent. Call upon the name of the Lord. Acts chapter 10. To him all the prophets bear witness, speaking about Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of his sins through his name. How do you receive the forgiveness of your sins? You believe upon Jesus, not baptism. Acts chapter 13, verses 38 through 39. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. See a common theme here? Forgiveness is important. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification that you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. How can I be set free from my sin? I believe upon the Lord Jesus. And then maybe the most familiar text to you when you think about this subject, Acts chapter 16. Remember the Philippian jailer? He asked a similar question that the crowds ask here. What must, what must we do? How can I be saved? What's, what's their response? Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Anyone who believes... I mean, this is the idea, right? Anyone who believes, you will be saved. So, so the, the, the overwhelming testimony of the book of Acts is that a sinner can stand right before God and receive the forgiveness of sins only through faith. Again, faith assumes repentance. Repentance assumes faith. And, and Acts is not contrary to the rest of the New Testament. I mean, the New Testament is explicitly clear. Baptism is not the instrument of salvation. I mean, we could go from the thief on the cross to the entire book of Romans to Galatians to the book of Ephesians and walk through how a sinner stands right before God, and it is always through faith. Let me throw three verses out for you, three texts. John 6, this fits so well with what Lori read a minute ago in John chapter 10, the same idea is there. This is what Jesus says. For this is my Father's will, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. There it is. Just, it doesn't get any simpler. It doesn't get any plainer. So I got to read Acts with those glasses on. This is what Jesus said. This is the will of the Father. You look upon me, you believe upon me, you have eternal life, and then Jesus follows up, I will raise that person up on the last day. Or Paul in Romans chapter 5, therefore, since we have been justified through what? Faith. We have peace with God. How can I have peace with God? It is through faith in Christ. One more, Ephesians chapter 2 familiar text. It is by grace you have been saved. How? Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. And then he just got to come behind it one more time. It is not by works so that no one among you can 
boast. We ha- when we come to difficult texts, it is imperative that we read them with clear text glasses on. And that helps us as we walk into this. The call of Peter here, let's come back to it. The call of Peter to this crowd is to, is to acknowledge their sin before God. They killed the Messiah. They killed the Christ. To turn from their sins, turn to him, what he's given to them in the gospel, and now to express that faith, that internal reality that's in their heart and soul, to express that by going over into the pools, these ritual pools, and confessing their faith publicly in this Christ that they killed. What a moment. Our baptisms here, and I, I say this with a, but I don't say it with regret. Our baptisms here, they're safe. I mean, we have at times because family members will attend, we have a a crew of unbelievers that may come and observe a baptism. Listen, on on this day, when Peter with this boldness cries out to this audience, listen, repent and go be baptized. This was a moment. This is, this is the founding of the church, if you will. This is the launching of the church. These 3,000 individuals we see here in verse number 41, they received his word and they were baptized. 3,000 individuals. They walk into these purification pools and they publicly confess faith in this Messiah whom they had crucified. This is a moment. That walking into the waters signifies their sins have been forgiven by Jesus. Now let's look at the two promises attached to this. One who calls up on the name of the Lord, promise one, the forgiveness of their sins. We've mentioned this a number of times. The idea here is that the guilty, the vile, the dirty sinner, he will be made clean. He will be forgiven. And let's not confuse ourselves here. Forgiveness is not forgetfulness. It's not as if God somehow has this divine old moment where he forgets our sins. Forgiveness is a promise that God will no longer hold our sins against us. He doesn't ignore our sins. He deals with our sins in Jesus But forgiveness is the intentional and decisive act of God. Because of what Christ has done for me, the sinner, it is the decisive act of God that he will no longer hold my sins against me. And that's what forgiveness is. God knows your sins, sinners. He knows every one of your sins, and he doesn't forget those sins. But through Christ and what Christ has done, he makes this decisive act Act, he will no longer hold those sins against you. Even though he's aware of them, he will no longer hold them against you as a sinner. Now, when Peter says this to the crowd, the forgiveness of sins, I would have to think Old Testament scriptures would have come rushing to their minds. I mean, this is kind of what they do, they know their Old Testament. 
Maybe Isaiah chapter 1. This is that moment, right? Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They are, though they are red like Clemson. Clemson, sorry. I watched college football yesterday. A lot of it. Let me start that over. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. That's what, that's what they heard. I mean, they're cut to the heart. Their guilt is up on them. It is weighing heavily up on their souls. And now what they hear from Peter is, hey, you repent and you believe. You call upon the name of the Lord. And Isaiah 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 18, it is yours. Your sins, they were like scarlet. They're going to be white. I'm going to cleanse you from these sins. I would have to think maybe Psalm 103 came to their mind. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. He's aware of them. He has not rewarded us according to our iniquities. It would be right if God rewarded us according to our iniquities. And then he says this, As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him, those who call upon his name. As far as the east is from the west, he's, he's trying to draw you into this picture. As far as the east is from the west. How far is that? That's right. It's as far as your mind can possibly go, and then even farther. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. He can't remove them any further than he has done in Christ. I think those kind of texts would have come to their mind. They're standing there before Peter, and they hear him say, Hey, if you repent... If you call up on the name of the Lord, your sins would be forgiven. And the Spirit of God cuts into their heart, and they know their primary need in that moment is the forgiveness of their sins. What about you? I've shared this with you dozens of times in my 14 years of pastoral ministry here. This is the issue for me when I was converted. When I was setting that little country chapel and what weighed on me was the guilt of my sin. It was like I could taste it. And that night, I'll never forget this because I can, re I can recall it as if it was this morning when I pillowed my head for the first time in my life I laid there in my bed and I knew I knew my sins were forgiven in Christ this crowd this is, this is what the spirit of God is doing in them. it's drawing this out and they're seeing this reality we love the hymn it is well it is there that Horatio Spadford writes this, this little, this verse that when we sing this here, you can, you can hear this rise up in our hearts. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part. I mean, this is a declaration. My sin, not in part, but the whole. Like God doesn't look at us and forgive us for a little bit of our sin. He sees the whole of this, and in Christ, he forgives us. 
Horatio says, It is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Not part of my sin. All of my sin is nailed to the cross in Christ. And I'm clean. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. But in Christ, right now, in your seats, you stand clean before God. Oh, what a freeing truth. Clean, cleansed, white as snow, wool. Look at the second promise. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I think this idea here follows up on what he said earlier in Acts chapter 1 to the disciples, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I think he's speaking here primarily the Spirit of God will indwell them. This is about the saving work of the Spirit in God's people. Yes, he will empower them. Yes, he will gift them. But this is primarily the idea that the Spirit of God will now come and he will indwell them. Their sins will be cleansed and the Spirit of God will live in them. This is a fairly common theme of the New Testament. Two particular verses. 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? So you are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so therefore glorify God in your body. But the point there is your body, it is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Those who call upon the name of the Lord, their sins are forgiven, and the Spirit of God comes and he indwells them. Romans chapter 8, verse number 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. In other words, all who call upon the name of the Lord, the Spirit of God indwells them. Right now, Christian, that, that's you. Right now, the eternal Spirit of God dwells in you. Through faith, he dwells in you. You are a temple of the Spirit of God. He possesses you. You are his. Your body is his. So, so the, the encouragement there is you glorify God with your body, but this is, this is the promise that falls out of calling upon the name of the Lord. The Spirit of God dwells in you. That's fact. That's a positional reality. You may not sense that, you may not feel that at times, but it is truth. If you are in Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in you. It's a promise that falls out of this exhortation. Those who repent, the Spirit of God dwells in them. Now look down at verse number 39. We're coming to the end here. This promise, these promises extend out, not just to the gathered crowd. This promise is for you and for your children and for, for all who are far off, and then a qualifier, everyone whom the Lord, our God, calls to himself. What's the promise? If you repent, you will be forgiven. The Spirit of God is going to dwell in you. The gift of the Holy Spirit is yours, like promised by Joel. And the qualifier is this, everyone who calls upon Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, it is yours. So this promise isn't just for those initial Jewish hearers that gather there on the day of Pentecost. It is for all generations, and it extends out. 
It is for you and your children. It is for young and old. It is for all who are close and those who are far off. It is for Gentile. It is for Jew. Everyone whom the Lord calls to himself, these promises are yours. And now Acts just traces that. Acts just traces that. Starts right here. The Lord calls to himself 3,000 people. And then later, more. And then later, more. And it just ripples out and it extends to the ends of the earth. The Lord calls people, the nations, to himself. That's what we're praying for Somalia, right? That the Lord would call out a people for himself. These promises might be theirs, right? Forgiveness of sins and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, what's, what's promised here in the prophets, that these promises might be theirs. All right, verse 40, the work of the Spirit, part two. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. There, there's your information that Luke hasn't recorded everything Peter said. He went on for quite some time, and he said to them, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Just the same idea, repent. Those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 41, those who received faith, repentance, the word, they were baptized 3,000 souls that day. What a moment in the history of the church. 3,000. Now, why do I say this is the work of the Spirit, part two? Well, Later in the book of Acts, Luke does this in a number of places, just like John did in the Gospel of John. They're going to step in and give us kind of, kind of theological background or understanding of things that are taking place. This is a very familiar text to you because we just preached through Philippians. But you remember when Paul went in and preached the Gospel and Lydia heard the Gospel? And then Luke gives us this insight. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. The Lord opened her heart. That's the work of the Spirit. You could could put in here, before this, her heart was cut. And the Lord opened her heart. And the result of the Lord opening her heart in that text is what? She heard Paul's message and she received it. She believed what Paul was preaching, namely the gospel. So, when I look back down at verse number 41... Those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the work of the Spirit. Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he has poured out his Spirit. And even in this moment, the Spirit is now gathering to himself the people of God. He is working in them. He's opening their hearts. On this day, he opens 3,000 hearts. They heard Peter. And because the Spirit had opened their hearts, they heard Peter and they believed. They believed. It's the the work of the Spirit that we're now going to trace through the entire book of Acts. He's going to harden some hearts. He's going to open hearts. The work of the Spirit in bringing a people out of the nations to the Father through Jesus Christ. So let's wrap this up and let's ask ourselves, what should be our response to this text? Well, there's a number of things I hope that are racing through your mind. I said this earlier, but let me come back to this. 
when you read a text like this, we need to ask ourselves questions. Have I genuinely repented of my sins? Have I identified and acknowledged and turned from my sins? Luther would say this is, this is the way of the Christian life. Repentance is, it just characterizes everything about us. But, but let's, let's have the Spirit of God do that work in our hearts anew. Have I truly turned from my sins and confessed Christ as my only hope? I mean, this is, we work through Acts. It's not just a history. This is God using his word in our hearts. If you haven't turned from your sins, if you haven't confessed Christ as your hope, after our gathering, we always hang out up front. Come and talk to us. We would love to pray with you. We would love to have these conversations about the gospel and encourage you and exhort you, just like Peter did these crowds, so that you might today receive the forgiveness of your sins. Number two, when I read this text, I'm reminded again, as Tim was praying a few moments ago for Somalia, I'm reminded again, the gospel must be preached. In, in, in Appalachia, in Charleston, places like Somalia, there are no free passes to heaven. The gospel must be preached. That's why we want this, this burden for Somalia. Next week, we turn the page to North Korea, I believe. And, and we want these, this burden to rise up in our hearts and understand, hey, these are dark places around the world where the gospel has not been preached. I mean, when you, when you look at how many people have no access to the gospel in Somalia, next week, when we turn the page to North Korea, it's overwhelming. For a person to receive the forgiveness of their sins, they must hear the gospel, and by the work of the Spirit, they must respond to the gospel. That burden must fall upon us as an American church. We have the gospel. We have access to the gospel. We must have this energy within us, given by the Spirit of God, to see that gospel go to those who have not heard of Christ. The gospel must be proclaimed. Our prayer through this whole Somalia thing is it just kind of relights a fire in our hearts. That we, we capture a vision for what is happening right here in Acts chapter 2 and we look at the nations with that kind of vision implanted within our hearts. We're, it's simple what we're doing. We're giving 10% of all giving these next few months and we're saying to you, hey, if you want to give them beyond, above and beyond your regular giving, have at it. We'll target Somalia. We're going to target North Korea and I think Iran and India. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to look into these areas and find partnerships where we can send these funds directly into those areas so that we look at Acts chapter 2, the gospel will be preached. There's no life, there's no forgiveness outside of believing in Jesus. Church, that is an awesome task for us. But let us lay our, our arms around it, embrace it, and last point, recognize that we are desperate for the work of the Spirit through the proclamation of the Word. We are desperate for the work of the Spirit through the proclamation of the Word. I mean, when we turn our attention next week to North Korea, there is nothing that can solve the problem of North Korea 
when it comes to the gospel. There is nothing that can solve that problem except the proclamation of the gospel and the work of the Spirit in the hearts and minds of North Koreans. As we walk through these texts, I hope just time and time and time and time again, it just stirs our souls. Christ must be proclaimed. The Spirit of God must work. Amen? Let's pray together. Oh, Father, as we conclude this morning, before we sing a final time, I do pray, Lord, that this would be, these would be monumental days for our church. That we would look back and see them as significant as you renew in us a passion for the gospel among the nations, especially those who have not heard. Father, thank you that we so freely have access to the gospel here. You have been so kind and gracious to our country and our region and our community. We have, we have access to this truth. Father, use Randolph Street now and in the days and years and generations to come that we might be instruments of taking your gospel through variety of means. We might be instruments of taking this gospel by the work of your spirit, by the power of your spirit to those who have no access to this truth. God calls a restlessness in us we read narratives like this. We might pray. We might give. Some may go. All of us will engage and send and sacrifice for these efforts. And Father, out of all of that, we pray that you would call a people to yourself for the sake of your Son from the nations. So, Lord, thank you today for this little text. Plan it into our hearts that we might be a faithful, faithful church. And, Father, if there are any among us or listening online who have not turned from their sins, who do not know what it is to experience forgiveness and the gift of the Spirit, Lord, today that you, as you have done thousands and thousands and millions and millions of times, that you would open hearts to hear this truth and to respond in repentance and faith. So Lord, do that holy, holy work in your in those who are listening here today. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand if you would.
sing that last verse, I can just sense the Spirit of God worked on Sean's heart to leave that message for us, to remind us of what he is enjoying, as well as all those who have gone on before, Lan and many others who are standing now in the presence of the Lord to see the beauty of Christ's face. What a glorious truth that is. Our benediction today comes from a prayer of the Apostle Paul for the church in Thessalonica. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Praise God, draw.